Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Let's go. Let's roll, everybody. You're listening to 88.9 FM KUCI in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of KUCI or the University of California, Irvine. Good morning, everybody. This is your host, Ask a Leader, Claudia Shambaugh, with my January 29, 2013 edition. My first guest will be school board member Gavin Huntley-Fenner, University High School Assistant Principal Mike Giorgino, and Uni High PTA SA President Marlene Vermeer-Campbell to talk about the school district-wide response to the general hazards considered on campuses everywhere, as well as particular catastrophe that was averted last summer. About the specific case, all four of us have a lot of skin in this game, and uh, which is not a game, by the way. The next guest we'll have on is Vincent Olivieri, who's going to talk about the radio plays they'll be producing here on UCI's campus at the end of the weekend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us and staying tuned, everybody. This is Claudia Shambaugh with my edition Ask Leader. My first guests are school board member Gavin Huntley-Fenner, University High School Assistant Principal Mike Giorgino, and Uni High PTSA President Marnie Vermeer. As I said, all of us have some skin in this game, not a game. That First of all, Gavin Huntley-Fenner has been serving on the IUSD school board since 2005. He is the principal of a consulting firm, which he's found with his wife, that's done quite well through this tumultuous economic stretch. Mike Giorgino is serving in his second year as assistant principal, tasked with security issues, among other things, at Uni High School. Previously, he taught four years at Uni High, and previous to that, five years at Brookner High in Anaheim. He has a bachelor's degree in poli-sci from University of California, San Diego. My third guest for this half of the hour is Marlene Vermeer-Campbell, who's put in much a lot of time in with the PTSA PTA posts at nearby elementary school middle schools and now at uni high as well uh, as she's a past member of the IUSD finance committee she's a registered nurse with credentials in certified emergency nursing welcome all that is Gavin Mike and Marlene to ask a leader thank you Claudia good morning, good morning. thank you for having us here so let's, I want to develop the story. The reason that I wanted everybody on here today is that there have been many uh, crises, uh, uh, catastrophes occurring at, as we well know, throughout uh, the country. And um, there was a particular situation that had unfolded over the spring into the summer at our very uh, proximate university high school. What I'd like to do is to develop this um, interview chronologically from the, and then working along with that from the general to the specific. In general, I would like for Gavin and Mike to pipe in with this. Uh, what has been in place with uh, the protocols for securing all of the campuses that have that are generally quite open, they're not cordoned off or uh, fenced or roped or gated off. Um, so in general, Leading up be, uh, prior to uh, Klaus Stuba, who uh, took his own life, um, a, a, 
freshman last year took his own life at a uh, park near University High School. Prior to that situation unfolding and developing, what was the general sort of philosophy of how you wanted to walk the fine line, admittedly, of keeping students safe but not being alarmist about a danger that could be at any corner any second? Gavin, you want to open with that? Well, well I, I'm going to let Mike answer with the, with the particulars um, right. for University High School, but I, I wanted to say um, that you know there is a matter of ongoing litigation involving That's... the particulars. Um, there was a parent arrested as part of the, the, that whole matter. And, and so I don't think it would be appropriate for us to comment on that specific case. So, Claudia, if you will allow, given that there's litigation involved, an ongoing trial, um, we, we'd be happy to talk about safety issues in general and how they're applied, um, and specifically at uni. Um, I can talk about the board perspective. Let's do that think, first. But I think to specifically to answer your question, Mike will have um, some great um, points to make about uni. Please. Okay, first with you, your general, Gavin. Sure. Uh, well, the... The board, um, just from a, you asked about our general philosophy. Um, the there are some very strict rules in California regarding uh, safety on school campuses. Rules about weapons, and and um, we have a zero tolerance uh, policy. Schools are, have been defined as gun-free zones. There was legislation passed in the mid 1990s to to uh, limit. Um, and in many cases forbid firearms on school campuses. We, uh, on a number of our campuses, all of the high schools and middle schools, for example, have uh, public safety officers, Irvine Police Department officers, who are present. And part of the reason they're there is, is for uh, public safety concerns. Um, but from a philosophy perspective, in general, the, the district has been, uh, safety is, Paramount. Um, we uh, we have a very close working relationship with the Irvine Police Department and and other law enforcement agencies, and uh, we are very very proactive when it comes to ensuring student safety. And I would I would say that that runs the gamut. We, we okay. sort of often think about school shooting, but it runs the gamut from just traffic safety, walking to school safely. Um, drug use on campus, um, and, and, and all, all the way through the possibility of uh, weapons-related violence. And, and we, work, we have a number of different approaches to dealing with that. Well, let's let Mike, Mike take up then from there. From the perspective of University High School, I could tell you that our top priority is always school safety, student safety. And that's no different than from before the incident happened to right now. Um, so the protocols that were in place and continue to be in place is that we have three full-time security guards. We have a uh, school resource officer who is an IPD officer that's here four times a week. Um, when he's not here, we have access to the other school resource officers, and we can call IPD, and they're usually here within about two minutes. Um, that's not an exaggeration. They're extremely reliable to, to be here quickly. Um, so whether we're talking about before anything that happened last year or what's happening right now, I mean, our, our protocols have been in place, and we're an extremely safe school. You know, you can't, you know, you, you, you can be as prepared as possible, and there's still those things that are going to happen that you just can't ever 
know about or, or prevent in some ways. But our counselors on staff um, do a great job of dealing with students who have um, emotional or, or social issues. Our security guards are very in tune with what students are doing on campus, and we prevent a lot of things before they ever come to fruition. Like Gavin said, whether we're talking about large-scale issues or just you know your typical high school student conflict. And Mike, I just want to unpack just a little bit about those three time, uh, three full-time security guards. They are uh, employees of the school district. They're employees of the school district, okay. correct? And every high school has them, and, and every do, junior high has them. Do all uh, the students know guards. which ones they are? I'm sorry. Do they are they known? Um, are they identifiable uh, to the students? Do they know exactly? Oh, absolutely. The, and yeah, they know their role. The students, most parents know who they are because they're in the parking lot every morning and every day after school. Um, they're at our games. They're at our dances. Um, and as I said, anytime there's a big event, a lot of times we'll pool um, the security guards together from other schools to make sure that we have enough coverage. And do they or do they wear? I'm trying to think of when I drop off my huge carpool. Is that are they wearing a vest or something it, like it a? Really, it really varies site to site. Our, our SRO, our um, CCAs, that's what we call our security guards. They'll have university high school shirts and and other sweatshirts, but we don't have necessarily a. Some, you know, don't don't look for a big jacket with security on the back. We don't have that. Okay. And um, the, but everybody's very aware of who they are. And they have some kind of, a, I guess everybody's got a, a talking device now on with cell phones and everything. Yeah, but they all have walkie-talkies. They have golf carts that they roam around campus. They also go in the park behind campus. They go in the apartments to the side of our campus. We have apartment managers and people in the community that will call and tell us if our students are off campus and our security guards go there. You know, they're not strictly confined to our they're campus. Not. Um, so they're very much in touch with what's happening on the community and in the school to make sure that students are safe and that, like I said, we can prevent things from, from getting out of hand. And because I'm thinking maybe some in the back of people's heads are listening right now uh, from Wayne LaPierre's uh, comments from the NRA, uh, do these security guards have anything special with them that they're uh, armed with? Not at all. They not, not not they just have communication devices. That's Correct. what they're on. Okay, just so I, every we have a sort of an idea of that that what that protocol piece looks like. Correct. So you were then saying uh, from the, uh, the standpoint then of how what the, where the personnel is um, and that and for those of you just joining us, we're we're talking about the security aspect, the protocols, general and in specific as far as we can get with that. With uh, our guest today, Gavin Huntley Fenner, the I, one IUSD board member and uh, vice uh, assistant principal Mike Giorgino and. Uh, Marlene Vermeer Campbell, uh, PTA, PTSA president at Uni High, um, and did you, Marlene? Did you, oh, Mike? You're not finished yet, though, talking about uh, some of this protocol. Well, I mean, there's other things we do as well. For example, our lockdown drills. We do. We've already done two this year. We did them very early in the year. Um, we have emergency preparedness drills. Like I said, I mean, all these protocols have been in place to keep us a safe campus. Obviously, with the events that happened over spring and summer. We're looking at those more closely to revise and, and, and make things more efficient and make sure things more clear and make sure that teachers are more aware of what's happening. Um, you know, we've gone around our campus, for example, and, and made sure that we have blinds on all our windows. The district just this weekend put peepholes in all our doors. Um, so, you know, while everything's been in place, there's nothing new that's happening because we've done a good job at this point. Certainly, we've, we've taken more of an initiative to to make sure that we're doing the absolute most and, and most that we can and the best job we can to make sure our campus and our staff and our students are safe. Well, Mike, just while you're on the ma matter of the doors, um, can the doors be locked from the inside so nobody can come in from the outside? Yes. 
all of them can be. That that was a big one. Actually, I had a guest on my show last week. We're covering the inauguration, and that uh, that uh, faculty member at UCI was uh, wanting to know about that. So it's, uh, it w- it would take a lot. Could a, an assault rifle open up a door? I mean, I'm, it not, could, I'm not an expert on weapons, but <laughs> but so and, but it's reasonably know. reasonably secure. That, um, somebody has to be able to undo that lock first. But, um, that would. So I that was a little a bit out there on the edge, folks. I didn't need to mm-hmm. necessarily go there, but just right. I'm just trying to sort of give us a chance to kind of get a full idea of uh, how this protocol works. And so with all of the drills, some of these drills were an actual. Um, there was a scare on December 21st, uh, the last day before winter break last year. I don't know that the students knew uh, what um, if this was uh, for real or not. But uh, tell, just give us a little ch- chance to talk about how that response worked it, it turned out to be a false alarm but but for uh, it it worked like a real drill because it was for some considered a threat how did that work in terms of yes i, I could tell you that it, it showed that we were wise to have two lockdown drills early in the year because for the most part it worked i mean the camp the campus was a ghost town when we went to lockdown um you know it was there the, it was a false threat um ipd was here like I said, literally within, within two. two minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. we clocked it. Um, but it was a false threat. We went in lockdown. There was nobody out. Um, so the drills that we did worked. Um, you know, I think that was the, the take-home message. Obviously, there were things we, we, when we debriefed about it, there were things that we realized we needed to reemphasize and a message out to everybody on campus. But, you know, by and large, um, we, we, we seemed to be as prepared as possible to have that type of a drill. Okay. Well, uh, uh, while you're talking about this, I'm sure Marlene has perhaps something to say about, uh, as she has a senior, I have a daughter, and Gavin has a daughter that are all attending. That's the skin in the game, folks, besides our, our general concern for the welfare of all of people's children. But Marlene, did you have something to say in terms of how you were brought in to at, at some points uh, as a way of communicating to parents how this protocol was uh, the, the rubber hitting the road for uh, the, the sake of the parents' reassurance? The groundwork was actually laid quite a bit earlier, Claudia, by developing close and intense relationships with school leadership and school administrators. Um, It's a privilege to be able to work that closely with them, to share confidences, and to share uh, projected conjectures as to representation of the parent community. Because honestly, certainly I did receive phone calls from parents after certainly the event of a year ago with parent concerns, which I would like to think eventuated in the three parent counseling um, workshops that were done by UNE High School in the last few months, the last which was just took place this January. Also, if I could pay tribute to Uni High School for the event that happened in December and for the prompt, timely, and succinct communication that went to the parent community immediately. It was very prompt. And to lay to rest parent concerns when every day we harbor in our souls the potential of loss and grappling with the potential of harm to our children who are precious commodities to know that the school does take seriously these these threats and these concerns that nothing is glossed over lightly and that that kind of respect is given to the community to the parents and most of all to the students who attend at the school and I, I, one part of when we're talking about communication and connection, that kind of a thing, when we were talking about uh, preparing for this interview, uh, Mike, you mentioned there is a hazard in the, the connectivity between students, that that 
created a little bit more, uh, that exaggerated the, the threat uh, on December 21st so that you, it made your work a little bit more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with social media as it is, kids are instantaneously going to their phones to text anything and everything without any sort of evidence, usually based on a rumor. As much as teachers tell students to keep their phones away, kids are you know, experts at texting while the phone's still in their pocket even. Um, and that certainly added to some of the issues. I mean, we honestly, we could have probably avoided going in lockdown had not students started texting false rumors to each other, which eventually got texted to their parents, um, and that's what prompted our lockdown. So, you know, it's certainly a downfall of, of our texting social media culture that a lot of times false information or unac- inaccurate information gets out too quickly. Um, yes. Just based on rumor. Yes, Marlene? I wanted to interject here, Mike, that, you know, we, we date some of this back to Columbine and how it personally affected me as a parent that my child had a cell phone either at that time or shortly after and she was still in grade school. And while it's a, certainly a temptation to remove a child's cell phone as a punitive measure, I have never been able to do that because of Columbine when those children were in, in broom closets texting and calling their parents. So while that has its downsides as well, it's something certainly that I as a parent have taken to heart and all of us on this show are, are parents who um, to carry the, those, those ideas with them of how they best can safeguard their children. But just a little anecdote that so I have a little, taken. A little triage then that we can talk to our our children about the uh, verify before texting in one case, but the but let's let the walkie-talkie do its job primarily first and foremost. Yeah, I mean clearly there's there's plus and minuses with having students with. I mean it's a reality of the world we live in that students are going to walk around with cell phones. It's something as a staff we talk extensively about as far as how to harness it, how to punish it, how to control it um, in, in all types of contexts on a, on a campus. Okay, well I'm. I know we're, we have a case pending. We have a, a freshman who last spring took his life. Um, it was, I think, prior to the, uh, the actual opening of the, the school day that day in, uh, I believe it was in March. And then we, uh, we had a, a, there is a, a UCI faculty member, Rainier Reinscheid, who is incarcerated at this point after um, having uh, been taken uh he was freed on bail originally, and then uh, was re- reincarcerated because of the 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 work the police, the Irvine Police Department did to, to track down various threats that he had made about uh, what he would do on the campus. And that uh, he is not being tried for those threats. He is on trial. Um, he's had several pretrial hearings uh, in the Orange County court system uh, that can be followed at occourts.gov. Um, we are we may not get in the specifics. Uh, we, he is on trial for starting some arson fires uh, n- n- on the campus, near the campus, and at um, a couple of residences of, of administrators of Uni High. Um, so I, you had a protocol, Mike, and I, Gavin may have something more to contribute to this, but Mike, you had a protocol to take him to, um, to deal with uh, the students uh, a, uh, bringing them on board last spring. Or, no, it was. It happened. The 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 threats were made known and followed up. Uh, um, the the police 
uh, authorities followed it up over the summer. So there there wasn't school in session. But you had uh, Gavin can address the the general kind of district response to having parents assured of the protocols. And Mike, you had a student body that needed to also be engaged at the very beginning. I guess there was a lot of media that was congregating at uni when school resumed in September. So um, I would, to the extent that both of, both Gavin and Mike can talk about how the, um, the community was apprised of the situation uh, without talking about the case, how you dealt with the students, with the, everybody following that case through, through the local media? Well, I could tell you on our, our school level, the events happened in mid-July. Right. Um, so when we came back to campus, uh, we had a, a, the police chief actually came and addressed our staff um, about safety concerns and what was happening. Um, we've had, Marlene alluded to them, a series of three parent forums. One of them was focused on student wellness, where we talked about safety concerns in a lot of different respects. Um, in regards to addressing the students, there wasn't, it was decided by leadership that there wasn't one um, specific moment where we addressed any of the issues with the students. Okay. Um, it's possible that many teachers did in, in different contexts, and some of them came to us individually. Um, but, you know, as far as addressing the students specifically, like in an assembly or something like that, that was chosen not to be. Um, something we wanted to pursue. Okay. And um, I, I would add here that, that um, I think this falls into a, a broader category, which is just overall student safety at school and how safe students feel. We, we, we monitor that a number of different ways. Um, if the, anyone in the public, in, in your audience, is interested in looking at one example they can take a look at the California Healthy Kids Survey, which uh, asks Irvine students annually how safe you feel at school, among other things. Um, and I think one of the things we, we try to do is to make sure that there's a high degree of confidence in the adults who are there to keep students safe, whether you're talking about elementary school, middle school, or any of our High schools, and, and uh, part of what we do is we make sure to communicate with with parents and with students and with staff whenever there's a, a problem or a potential problem. So we're very forthcoming with information, accurate information. Um, another part of what we do is uh, we try to empower students. Um, lots of the city does, um, I think, a pretty good job of making sure that that. Teenagers, for example, are empowered, but, but not just teenagers. They, there's a, the high school youth action team. Um, if you want to see a good example, a, a long list of the various activities, you can go to the City of Irvine website where the Strategic Plan for Children, Youth, and Families sort of lays out lots of different initiatives underway to empower students. And the main, one of the main benefits of that is that students are able to then come to administrators if they notice um, problems on campus. That, that's an important part of surveillance, having people around where you can, you Lots can of say, eyes. hey, I noticed something unusual. Right. I'd like to bring it to your attention. And Gavin, before we uh, for, uh, miss an opportunity, there is an upcoming uh, another forum envisioned, but it's not. there's not a specific date yet for uh, that IUSD is going to convene on more on security. Well, I think that 
that um, with the board, well, I know that the board is going to put something on the agenda within the next um, month or so where we, where we sort of talk about these issues. And, and, and I'm hoping that, uh, that we're going to learn some things from the community, from our staff, from experts um, in the area uh, that will help us design safer campuses going forward. We're constantly in the process of looking at looking at our, our the design of our facilities, our policies, and practices regarding school safety. And I think this is a great opportunity to, to bring what we're doing, put it in the limelight, ask some tough questions, and then uh, get community input. Um, and Gavin, Gavin and Mike... Continue to be safe and maybe safer in the future. And Gavin and Mike, what is an effective way for that kind of input to be sent through um, up through the administration at uni and at USD so that we know um, people know from this listening to this show, they know how to direct their comments. Mike, do you want to talk to that? I'm sorry, I have an announcement going on here. We well, can hear it. Game. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> can you please repeat the question? Live action heroes. Uh, the question is about um, where it, what is the, the best vehicle for listeners or people listening later to the podcast to respond uh, in, in a particular form for that data to be collected by the district for uh, responding to the, the, uh, the whole issue of security? For us, I mean, the best way to contact us is to contact us directly. I mean, we have a number of parents who will send us emails to send emails or phone calls to the administrators directly. That will tell us about a concern they have or ask a question about something they've heard, and we respond immediately. I mean, as I said before, safety is our number one concern, so there's no concern or question that's unfounded. Um, I can tell you, I wanted to jump in with what yes. Gavin was saying at the beginning of the last comment. We had a, we, we administered a student survey um, over the last couple months, partly dealing with safety issues, but partly dealing with some other things we're looking at on campus. One of the questions was, do you feel safe at at University High School, and 91% of the students said that they did. So while our goal is to have 100% of the students feel safe here, I think that, you know, that, that in light of all the things that have happened, I think 91% is a, is a decent number for now. Obviously, we need to move that up in the different things we're doing, but I think it's important that that's one indicator that, you know, it's a fairly strong amount of students that do feel safe here. Um, because of the security that we have, because of the, the campus supervisors, the counselors that are very open, all the teachers, um, a number of students on a regular basis will go to teachers and tell them about um, concerns they have or, or issues that are arising that need to be dealt with, and then the teachers come tell us and funnel it to the right people. Uh, but to your question, um, you know, the easiest way is to come speak with us directly. There's, you know, we all have open-door policies here. Um, you don't have to necessarily call and make an appointment. I mean, if it's something that's about security or safety or the well-being of your child, I mean, there's no reason to hesitate to come talk to us. So uh, each one of you can say uh, what, for, we'll start with Gavin and we'll end with Marlene. What is the contact information that you would like to give listeners for following up uh, this conversation with concerns that they have for this? Form? Starting with Gavin, if you want to suggest how to get a hold of you. Yes, I would recommend uh, probably the easiest thing to remember is to go to the IUSD.org website and the contact information, phone numbers, and emails for school board members right. is um, there, and you can you can contact any board member at any time. Uh, you also are free to attend board meetings. The board members' board meeting schedule 
is listed on that website, and there is a going to be a, a, a time during any board me- board meeting where you can comment on this issue. And it's also a way to keep tabs on upcoming board agendas, so you'll know when we'll be discussing okay. safety in particular. So the website, which provides emails for all all board members, and that that's where the the form. And for you, Mike Georgino, um, similar to Gavin, I mean, we have our school website, and on that website. You can find emails and phone numbers, and it tells you which assistant principal. We have three assistant principals, and we deal with students based on their alphabet. So it would, the, the easiest, the best way to go would be to, to find the assistant principal that deals with um, the, the, the letter that your last name, that the student's last name falls under, um, and contact them directly. Um, another venue, and Marlene could speak more to this, is obviously to go to PTA meetings. You know, that's a, an, a way you can voice concerns if you don't feel comfortable coming directly to us if it's not an urgent matter, um, or come to campus. I mean, our office is open from 7.30 to 3.30. We're a welcoming place. We want to know what's happening. Okay. And Marlene, contact for you? Contact is also through IUSD.org website. Go to Uni High School, the PTSA um, page, and you will find contact information. Okay, fine. So that's where people who feel like they can, A, become uh, informed, or B, they can uh, offer their... uh, comments of what their eyes and their ears are picking up on and see to applaud the incredible efforts of all of these uh, professionals that have been involved at IUSD to avert what could have been, I mean it seriously, folks, a real catastrophe on our campus. I know we all feel deeply, gravely uh, for the the families who've had to, who've survived these horrific incidences on the school campuses and and at other settings as well and the fact that this catastrophe was averted here is is something for us to uh, to dial into the most constructive kind of involvement we can so that we can not only have our children feel more confident about the security measures taken on the campus but they everybody can just do their job instead of worry about well what what if kind of a thing so I I'm, I'm doing the show to applaud uh, IUSD's work the, the Irvine Police Department's work. We've talked a little bit more specific about it on a different show, but uh, I, I want to thank you all, Gavin Huntley-Fenner, IUSD board member, uh, Mike Giorgino, assistant principal at Uni High, and Marlene Vermeer-Campbell, uh, PTSA president um, at Uni High School. Thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Well, Thanks I want, for having us. Excellent. Well, we're going to keep... Uh, Keep doing this, folks, and we're going to, um, with the second half after this brief uh, break, we're going to talk with Vinnie Olivieri, who is the director of the radio plays that will be produced on campus at IUSD. Uh, I'm sorry, at UCI, wrong alphabet. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break. Thanks for staying with us, folks. We're um, going to have um, a shortly. I'm tracking down uh, Mr. Olivieri here. I'm, I'm going to do his uh, introduction while uh, we await his arrival so that we can save time. 
Uh, he's here uh, imminently anyway. Uh, welcome back to Ask a Leader. My guest will be, as soon as he shows up, is Vincent Olivieri, who has designed sound and composed music for theatrical productions in New York City um, and around the country. His repertoire is extensive. I won't go into all of it, although I could now that I've got a little time extra here. So uh, it, it gives you more of Vinny himself when he's here. Uh, Vincent has a particular interest in new play development. He's created designs and scores for many new plays. Internationally, Vincent's work has been heard in Romania, Italy, China, the Czech Republic, and South Korea. And prior to uh, joining the faculty at UCI, he taught, lectured, led workshops, or served as a guest artist at many colleges and universities. And uh, that includes um, Auburn University, Barnard College, Bellarmine College, the Juilliard School, and UMass, University of Massachusetts at Amherst and Yale University. He is an active member of the Sound Commission at the United States Institute, that's S-I-T-T, we'll find out what that might mean, and a regular contributor is to freesound.org. You can find that on YouTube and um, look up that website with some innovative uh, theatrical aspects. Vincent holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Mathematics and a minor in Music Performance from the University of Richmond and a Master's of Fine Arts in Design uh, from the Yale School of Drama. He joined, he'll join me shortly. He's on his way in toward the microphone now uh, here in Studio A. I'm going to bring him on. At, well, we do a, a brief music interlude. Stay with us, everybody. Well, welcome back to uh, Ask a Leader. We have uh, Vinny Olivier, whose uh, introduction he didn't get to hear, but he knows it by heart. So uh, we're going to have him now join us here in studio. He's not to, the guy's in sound, but boy, is he eye candy to, to behold here. So it's really a treat. So uh, let's start um, with, uh, we'll just mention, announce now and for uh, all many times in this remaining time we have in the show, uh, the radio plays uh, will be presented uh, on the campus this Friday, Saturday, Sunday with evening and matinee performances. It's called The Radio Plays. It's directed by Eli Simon and my guest today, uh, Vincent Olivieri. So uh, let's start, uh, as you guys say there, that it's not your grandmother's old time radio. You want you join, join everybody for a, a, a night of theater powered only by the human voice, music, sound effects, and Hollywood style Foley artistry and man everybody you've got to be all over the net with this Foley and it's what we used to um, we were, we've become accustomed to but we have no earthly idea how those sounds come about right so so uh, traditionally Foley sounds uh, in the in the Hollywood sense of the word uh, come from the idea of, of of taking everyday sounds that we've got a uh, uh, jars and pans and pots and trash cans and other things and using them to create uh, to create different sounds to create something that to create the idea of something that's that's more than just um, more than just the sound itself so so using unusual sounds to create uh, to create um, a new new sounds and unusual sounds and and that's the the the, the tradition in Hollywood um, going way back to the to the early days is uh, before we had a lot of, of high tech recording and uh, and and high technology ideas uh, and, and tools is to 
what we would do is we would uh Oh, sorry, I'm having a little bit of a brain fire. I just no, walked no. in, so I've got to collect my thoughts. Yeah, it's unfair to throw this at you, but you're here. Go ahead. Um, sure. So, um, so in the in the old in the old days of Hollywood, the old cartoons and the and the old films, uh, sound artists would would watch what was being what was recorded uh, with film, and then layer on additional sounds to kind of create those to to create a verisimilitude to create a reality that that isn't actually the reality that we see and and that process of foley is still very al alive and well in hollywood today in fact um whenever a big hollywood film is done being filmed they send it to a foley stage and a, and a team of foley artists uh layer on additional sound effects and additional sonic elements so so that tradition even though it's it's an old style of uh, it's an old style of, of work. It's still very modern. It's still something that very analog. In. And my favorite yeah. one I noticed was the uh, flesh, pounding flesh was a wet piece of of leather wrapped around celery and hit up yep. against a naga hide, a piece of furniture. So, but now uh, we're going to avoid as many spoiler alerts as possible. And, and I don't think that we could possibly spoil what we have in store for the radio plays this weekend. Right. But so that will there be those pedestrian kinds of equivalents on the stage that you're absolutely your master's a fine art student. His, I'm going to quickly uh, pull up that Stephen Swift, he's going, is this getting him his master's degree or he this already is his, this is his thesis project. It, okay. Is to, to being the sound designer for this show, and and he's done. We've got three plays, and two of the plays yes. ha have have an extensive amount of foley sounds. Um, right, we're going to hear Sherlock Holmes. That's not as extensive. Do I really sound like that? Which was uh, it's a real recent play that you're directing that, mm -hmm. and the wildest dream ever that Eli Simon wrote, right. and he'll be directing. So the latter right. two, do I really sound like that? And the wildest dream ever are loaded. Right, they're with both sound. World, but well, all three of them are, are, are loaded with sound. The wildest dream ever and do I really sound like that are both world premieres. So, uh, so we get we two premieres in the same uh, bill of events. The Sherlock Holmes play and the wildest dream ever are both very very foley oriented. So you'll you'll come and you'll get to watch the foley artists. Uh, artists. artists, how many? Uh, I think at one. Uh, four in do in the wildest dream ever. There are four foley artists, and in Sherlock Holmes, I think at one point we have three different foley artists. Uh, working at the same time, and they're also actors, so so they're voicing and they're also manipulating sound at the same time. Okay. Uh, so, so, and we use we use a lot of the old tricks. We use uh, different pairs of shoes on p on different surfaces to create footsteps. We use uh, we don't use uh, celery and and leather, but we do use uh, a spackle a, a a paint spackle and a, and a cantaloupe to create uh. some <laughs> to create some flesh sounds. Okay, so. Now, when we talked about Foley, the more general term for what we're going to be experiencing is the it's an oral, um, A-U-R-A-L, mm -hmm. oral performance. So part of that, and, and that, that's why I, I want to give everybody a chance to really like seize on this opportunity, is some of the sound is going to come from the audience, too. You're, that's, a, that's a part of it. Well, sure. I mean, not not a. I wouldn't say a huge part. Of not it, a but, huge one, but but, uh, but but people aren't. They're not. They're going to be so conscious that you are directing, producing, creating these right. sounds. But they're not sure whether they are. Uh, what's their role if uh, if they're to remain quiet at all times, or you're expecting reactions to right. accentuate well, also the accentuated sounds? Certainly. Well, it's you know it. it the, one of the differences between what we do and, and traditional foley is that is that we're doing it for a live audience, and, and we're you know hopefully the hopefully the audience will laugh and uh, and maybe squirm a little bit in their seats when when you when want that 
Sure. An audible squirming. Well, absolutely. I think the more the the audience can give to the performers in terms of of feedback, the more the performers can feed off of it. And and the performance, I think, in general, uh, improves and everyone sort of has a better time, I think, when there's more laughing and there's more squirming. There are a couple of gross-out sequences, and and I think a little bit of squirming, I think, would be totally fine. and and more than more than a couple uh, funny bits where you know where we will have some laughing or some chuckling if you know if we do our jobs well. Well, I think so. I mean, just to I mean to read what Eli did. I mean, Eli just just he just wrote this uh, the yeah, the he, wildest dream ever. He just he had a dream. We 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 were going to work on this project and and we we're trying to find uh, some texts to work on over the summer and and uh, and Eli had this dream and he woke up and he thought that's that's a weird dream. I think I would like to direct that and so he wrote the dream down and then he uh, he met with his cast we, ca- we cast the show back in October and he met with his cast and as they talked through the story of the dream they developed it a little more so it's so that it's so characters are fleshed out and the story I think has some more shape to it w- once the actors were able to uh, to join in that conversation but it's the the nut of of it and a lot of the of what's on stage I saw a run through on Sunday a lot of what's on stage is very much the, the, uh, a version of this dream that Eli had uh, over the over the summer. So it's you know it's I think it's for him it's a very personal project. It's certainly a weirdo piece. It's, it's weirdo piece, and yeah. I and I'm I'm concerned about uncontrollable laughter. I don't know if there's a way. Is, are there going to be cues coming from the the performers to the audience? Nope. It's, there, there there is no they're they're hearing, but they're not going back to the audience right, like right. saying enough already no 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 because there may be uncontrollable laughter. well if there's uncontrollable laughter then you know they're 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 experienced actors they're experienced performers and and they they can wait for the laughter to die down a little bit so i guess i'd like to know how you audition for this kind of a, a and not so tradition it's super it's an old it's a vintage uh kind of genre but mm-hmm. it's but it's it's not traditional to the students that you're training here so how did you cull through this talent here at UCI? Sure. well well we we had auditions in october and um and uh eli and i asked every everybody who came <laughs> into audition we asked them all to come in and tell us a joke uh, Did they know what the, it was going to be about a radio play? Or they knew they knew that the piece it. was going to be radio plays. They uh, some of them had read the scripts. Not all of them had read the scripts. Okay. Um, uh, they knew that it was going to be that there wasn't going to be a lot of physical movement in the show, and that um, and I, I think something that 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 I think the cast was really excited about was that was that we weren't looking for physical types at all. A lot a lot of acting professionally. Uh, and even in school, a lot of, of casting is about, do you look the part? Are, are right. you the right body shape? Are you the right facial shape? Are Bearing. you the right? Yeah. Uh, are you the right age? Um, and we didn't care about any of that for this for this show. So uh, so we asked people to come in and tell us a joke mm-hmm. to see what their what their stage presence was like, to see if they could make us laugh. We had a, we had a little conversation with each of them, and then and from that we were then able to uh, Eli and I were then uh, able to sort of call that list down from the large group who auditioned to a smaller group and then we and then we had the smaller group of, of performers and we asked them to come in and and and, and read scenes read little scenes uh, from the play to get a sense of chemistry and uh, and and instinct and sort of who who's going in an interesting direction with these characters uh, so so we didn't we didn't um, we didn't have to take into account physical shape or body type at all which was really nice for us and I think also nice for the for the cast for once in their for once in their professional lives they're not going to be judged on the way that they look only and all about projection and that this mm-hmm. is probably a part of their portfolio they're they're most 
deeply interested in developing anyway. Right, right. So. A lot of the, there's a lot of work for voice actors out there, and so this was a way for them, I think, to get some experience doing just voice work. Good. I try to do my voice work here whenever I can, <laughs> listeners. So for those guests of. Uh, or listeners who've just joined us, my guest is Vincent Olivieri, who is one of two directors of the ever going to be delightful, the radio plays that will be presented on UCI's campus this weekend at the Winifred Smith, I'm sorry, no, not, the not sorry, the Claire Trevor Brent Theater, Theater, the larger one there, uh, sure. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And that includes uh, Saturday, Sunday matinees, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evening performances. I've got mine. I'm going to I'm gonna see the, the Friday night, the Excellent. sort of the first brush, the first draft of this, Excellent. Uh, this wonderful piece. So I'll um, be there for that one too. So uh, it's going to, so I think, I didn't get a chance to ask David Walker what a uh, ticket availability is but folks I would not be complacent about this this is a this is I can feel this uh, building this momentum so um so when we listen to Prime Home Companion mm -hmm. they're using the Foley sounds too and they're I mean that they they're, are they're yes. renowned for that I mean we're, like I think the guy that does the Foley sounds he gets the most applause when Garrison Keillor rolls out the credits yeah he does and Fred and, Newman and or somebody mm -hmm. and he's famous also uh for for uh, Garrison Keillor is famous for throwing him oddball yes. curveballs during the show, where he'll he'll say, "And then <laughs> I walked into a saloon on Mars," and uh, and this and that sound effects guy has to figure out how to do the saloon on Mars. Really and he doesn't quickly. have three sets of uh, like you talked about. You've got three kinds got, of floors, base four p surfaces mm -hmm. for your shoes to be walking on. But right. Fred's got he's not doesn't have that much. No, but he, you know he does have a really really. Uh, dexterous mouth he can he can make amazing sounds out of his mouth and and so uh, so that he relies on that a lot that's one of his prime tools well will your will your actors have um they will they have that part of that be their repertoire they've worked that or is it mostly the surfaces that they've gotten comfortable uh, with over the fall do, quarter in eli's play in the wildest dream ever they they do use their mouths to make sound effects um in my plays there's uh there's a there's less of that. Our, our, the sound effects in the two plays that I'm directing are the foley effects are primarily using your hands to manipulate other objects as a not and not using your mouth to create sounds. But but in Eli's play in the wildest dream ever, they, they definitely use their mouth to create uh, monkey sounds and wind sounds and 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 other unusual sounds. There's oh. a little bit of singing in my play as well. Oh, fine. Yeah. So um so the students have stepped up. They've figured out how to how to give their all and project and that they, kind of a thing. They've done a they, really good job. Uh, uh, strangely, this play is not about, this show is not about projection at all. Um, usually when you when, when, a, when an actor goes into a theater to perform a piece, they have to, one of the things they have to do technically is, is manage their voice to fill the room. Uh, whether it's a whether it's a 350 seat stage or 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 50 seat black box theater, they have to adjust their voices. We don't have to do that. All of our all of our performers are all are all microphoned up. Uh, in fact, they're using SM7s, which is what you're using right oh, now. That's what it's called. Okay. Uh, yep, the Shure SM7, and and, and then mm. a bunch of other mics. I think we've got 16, 20 microphones that are arrayed about the stage. Um, some they wear uh, on on eyeglasses attached to eyeglass frames, so they hang right in front of their head. Some are they use just like you and I are, are using the mic right up on the right up on the mic, very close. Um, some are arrayed out over over the foley tables, so that the different sound effects that the that the foley artists do will get picked up by the microphones. Um, but it's a it's a they the one thing the actors don't have to worry about for this piece is about filling a large space with their voice. They can be more more natural and more. Uh, I think introspective, and um, and they don't have to worry about that that kind of massive projection. Well, we said that it's a traditional 
um, it's a vintage medium, vintage mm-hmm. genre, and you were going to be taking some of the roles, like in the Sherlock Holmes, you're, you're going to bring them up into a sort of a contemporary role. We're not going to throw up, I'm not going to say much more about that, but okay. but it's interesting how, uh, folks, you're going to be, your feet are going to be planted in in uh, previous times with some of the content and some of the the um, the artifacts, yes. shall we say, and then the, um, the actual, um, the characters and the the, some of the material will be greatly updated, so we'll, we'll have yeah. our feet planted in yeah, several the, different times the, and places. The Sherlock Holmes play is set in 1899, um, and and we're sticking true to that. We're, we're keeping it set in 1899, but we are making some some significant adjustments to uh, to the story and to the and to the char- not to the story, but to the characters, right? Um, in a way that uh, that is going to, I think, turn the play on its head a little bit and uh, and certainly help it feel more more modern and less old and less old fashioned. Uh, and then and then the other two pieces, The Wildest Dream Ever and Do I Really Sound Like That are both they're both world premieres. They're both set present day. Um, Do I Really Sound Like That is actually set in a radio station radio station like this one. Uh, so it's it uh, it's very it's very modern and it has a, a much more modern sensibility to it. And folks, I know you're wondering, you know, KUCI is a radio station and uh, Vincent Olivieri and uh, Kevin Stockdale, the the manager for KUCI, were, were discussing how we can get what was produced and recorded during those performances in this mm-hmm. weekend. How we're going to be able to get that on KUCI later. But does this play? Do these plays have a life after the presentations here on the campus? I I hope so. I hope so. I I know that um, Sean Cunningham, who's a playwright for Do I Really Sound Like That, I know that he's been talking to some other people elsewhere in the country about about producing and producing this play again. Um, I'm not sure. No one's talked to me about taking this production in anywhere else. So I, I would. Uh, I'm not sure that that's in the works. But um, but I think that Sean's play is going to get produced again. Um, I don't know about Eli's play, and and I'm sh- and people do people pull out the old Sherlock Holmes and the Flash and the Shadow radio plays all the time to mm-hmm. dust them off and see. So I'm sure that those that the text will get performed again, um, and we're I'm hoping that we're going to be able to broadcast some of the recordings. I don't think we'll be able to do all of them because there's a couple of legalities in yes, the, in the midst, right? But uh, but I'm hoping that at least one or two of them will be able to. Make make a good recording of, and that that could be broadcast on KUCI because well, I think that would be. I'm terrific. hoping so, and I I must say that the the strength, the power of a radio play. I remember Les Misérables was done mm-hmm. years, decades ago, mm-hmm. on Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and I remember how. I mean, it was like in a multi like a ten part installment, and I wow. remember I ran to the radio to hear that. Yes, folks, it's, I'm I'm that vintage, and then I remember also uh, on a. Uh, local NPR affiliate maybe 20 years ago, there was a series and it involved a, a Central American kind of um, uprising theme. And I've, uh, I've, it's made my skin crawl. It was so vivid with the kind of torture. I mean, it was so, you, really? could, re- wow. you could really understand what, what awful things that the, 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 um, the repressive government was doing to people that they incarcerated mm. to my day. It might just mm. to think about that. So folks are, we're going to have our, our, uh, Skin crawl, our our uh, our funny bones rattle, and we'll mm-hmm. ha- and uh, all kinds of things, and we're uh, we're going to be taken to new places we've never been before, and That's we thought we'd hope. already been. So, yeah. well, thank you, uh, Vincent Olivieri, for coming thank to you so Ask much for Leader. Me. He's going to be producing uh, and presenting and directing along with Eli Simon. This weekend, February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, evening and matinee performances at the 
Claire Trevor Brand Theater at UCI. So, folks, run, don't walk to David Walker's box office. Oh, I'm not supposed to do calls to action on the radio. Oh. Folks, if you're interested in attending, the box office is at the Claire Trevor Brand School of the Arts right there uh, by the lovely watercourse by Mylin. And you uh, get the remaining tickets, and uh, I'll see you there on Friday, folks. And I'm Excellent. wanting to hear from listeners and, uh, and Vinny and uh, Eli and... Um, I'm sorry, and Stephen will Steven. want to hear from you too about what you thought. So, but you'll you'll hear from the audience immediately. I can't Excellent. wait. Yeah, I can't wait either. It's, it 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 sounds so much different when we get an audience. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. We'll stick around here, folks. Uh, I want to uh, let you know next week. I am going to. Hear, that's one sound effect. My train for for Vinny. Uh, next week we're going to be uh, putting together a show with uh, Rachel Klemick, um, the entrepreneur who's uh, worked Kickstarter to make her enterprise even bigger, and I'm hoping also Alan Gelsner, a Reuters reporter and Jerusalem bureau chief. It should be a pretty cool show. Thanks for joining us. George Rosales is up next at 10, and you'll hear more from, from Heather McCoy at 6 o'clock tonight. Thanks all. Stay tuned. <laughs> En anglais, station défile, je vise vos tampons et croise vos regards de temps en temps sous pas métro.